my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. This is really just an opportunity for Derek to rock out to hymns. Um, some of you are probably like, who's this guy? Uh, my family and I, we've been coming to this church now for a couple months, and I decided it was time I started pulling some weight around here. And um, actually, my name is Ryan Snyder. I'm ordained in the United Methodist Church, which we do not have to talk about. Um, if you know what's been going on in the news. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, so we've been coming here for a couple months, and I remember when I first walked into this sanctuary and I saw Rublev's icon, Trinity, there. And that's the same icon that's been in my office for 10 years. And I said, this might be the place for us. You know, there's lots of images for the church, and you can say the church is the people of God, the church is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the church is the body of Christ, the church is the bride of Jesus. But the early church had this image of the church as a boat. And if you see some sanctuaries, they're kind of built like upside-down boats, right? And the image says that if you are drowning, the church can give you a place to rest and will take you aboard. And Atlanta Christian has been that place for our family. Our spiritual arms were getting like very tired of waiting, and Atlanta Christian took us on board, and we're so thankful for that. But let us pray. Oh God, to send your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, that you might speak through me, if necessary, in spite of me, and always beyond me, that your word would be heard by your people this day. Amen. So we're nearing the end of this sermon series on broken faith. And I think if Derek has taught us anything so far, it's that there is no faith but broken faith. Like, that is what faith is. It's called faith. It's not certainty. Faith is broken. And, um, you know, you can, you can go throughout your life, and I've met people who are like this, and, you know, they have no, no doubts whatsoever. God makes perfect sense to them. Um, they always say they believe, and they can sort of fit God, like, right in their back pocket perfectly. And if that's you, then I'm kind of worried about you, right? <laughs> because only idols fit in your back pocket. But if you're the kind of person who wavers and believing is sometimes hard, and sometimes you feel like you're in this wrestling match with God, then you are exactly where you are supposed to be. You know, I, I used to work with college students um, for the last three years, and notoriously college students are sort of wrestling with their faith, right? And I used to tell them this old Zen proverb, and it goes like this. It says, in the beginning, mountains are mountains, and rivers are rivers. And then as you grow and learn, mountains are not mountains, and rivers are not rivers. But then as you stay on the path, mountains become mountains. And rivers become rivers. And most of the time they look at me and be like, dude, what are you talking about? And I'd say, that's your, that's your faith, right? In the beginning, it's easy and it makes perfect sense. But then as you grow 
and accumulate experiences, it sort of changes. But if you stay on the path, mountains can become mountains again, and rivers will become rivers again, though some mountains will be taller and others will be shorter. And some rivers might cease to flow, and new rivers will spring from the ground, giving you nourishment and your community nourishment. But you've got to sort of stay on the path. You know, I think most Christians I've known who've been able to keep the faith, this is them. Their faith doesn't look the same. This is Paul, who we're reading from today. Paul, the number one terrorist of Christians, who becomes the number one most loving, nonviolent, prosperous missionary the world has ever seen, whose faith changes drastically throughout his life. Depending upon the experience he has, the nudges of the Holy Spirit, depending upon the ways he's called and the relationships he develops with churches, it all begins to change and shift. And that's Christianity, I think. Always growing, always deepening. So I'm a Methodist, which means I've worked in a lot of Methodist churches, and one thing I've noticed about Methodist churches is that there's always a Sunday school class that's called Forever Young. And if you want to be a member of this said class, Forever Young, you must have a couple requirements met. You must be at least the age of 70, preferably closer to 80. And you must also love to go on field trips, right? Preferably to the mountains, preferably when the leaves are changing, preferably to pick apples. And if you meet all of those requirements, you are forever young. And I used to think that was so funny growing up. All oh, these 80-year-olds, forever young. And now I think how beautiful that no matter how old you are, you still have so much room to grow. Forever young. Your faith can change. All right, so two points today. Uh, keeping the faith and then the beauty of an aged faith, keeping the faith. So Paul is writing to Timothy, and Paul is fearing that the end is coming near. And he's in prison, and he thinks he's going to die soon. And these Greco-Roman prisons were like much worse than ours today. They were disgusting, and they were degrading, and you were chained, and you didn't get food. So unless someone like gave you food through the bars, you just wouldn't eat. And Paul is writing there, and he looks around at these disgusting, inhumane conditions. And he says, what a perfect place to grow as a Christian. What a perfect place to have church right here, right in the midst of pain. You know, it's been said that uh, you can't really understand the New Testament unless you've spent some time in jail. Because where was the thing written? Jail. Where do you go if you follow it? Oftentimes jail. (laughs) You think of some of our best theologians, right? Someone like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who in World War II was imprisoned for his assassination attempt on Hitler. We'll talk about that. Um, (laughs) But there in prison, he writes these letters and papers that sort of change the shape of German Christianity. Or maybe, I don't know, can we claim a Martin Luther King Jr., our very own, Atlanta's very own, uh, writes that letter from a jail cell in Birmingham, Alabama. And how beautiful. It's one of the most important pieces of literature that American Christianity has ever produced. But it was there in jail. You know, God works profoundly in these moments of suffering. Oscar Romero uh, said that there are some things you can only understand with eyes that have cried. Isn't that beautiful? That when you're crying, your faith takes on this new and beautiful shape that it couldn't have taken on before. 
but now you're in the pain. It sort of makes sense. So Paul's there in his orange jumpsuit. He's writing to Timothy. And he says, I have kept the faith. And he's not bragging, right? This is an older Christian writing to a younger one. And he says, I've, I've made it. I've kept it. And you know, what's important in my life is not the success I've had and the status, but it's that I've kept the faith. And did you notice the athletic imagery there? He's like, I fought, I struggled, I finished. There's a crown, like this is hard. I've been sweating. I've wanted to quit the race, but I have kept going. And I think that's important. I mean, even Paul struggling. And regardless of where he ended up, right, prison, what was most important to him is that he followed the Holy Spirit and kept the faith. And that it was hard. And that we've learned over the past weeks that keeping faith is hard. So we stumbled, my family stumbled upon this church like a few months ago, and we had been away from the church for three or four months. Now for some of you, you're like, oh, three or four months, that's just a vacation. Three or four months for me, was that was the longest time in my life I've been away from the church. And I could easily see how three or four months could become three or four years, and how three or four years could become 30 or 40 years. And before I know it, I could imagine myself sitting on the sideline, right? Just watching everyone else run the race. And all this took place until my daughter kept saying, Dad, are we ever going back to church? And I would say to her, quiet child. <laughs> I am the church. <laughs> no, I, would, I whispered to my wife and said, we got to start going back to church, right? And we drove past this one and walked in one Sunday and just the immense fresh breath of air it gave us. And we realized that in order for us to keep the faith, we had to let go of something else, other networks of belonging. We needed people like you. And sometimes I realized that in order to keep the faith, and this is my own sort of personal journey, you have to let go of something to receive something new. And that God is always trying to give us good things, but our hands are sometimes so full and grasping on to old things that we can't receive them. And so you let something go. And I wonder for you, like, um, what do you need to let go of to receive, some, receive something new? Like, if your faith feels imprisoned, what do you need to receive to make your faith whole again? And I know Derek's talked about this, but sometimes it can be things like theology. Your new experiences aren't matching up with the ways you've thought about God, and so you've got to redevelop some ways of thinking theologically. And sometimes it's things like a purpose. I mean, we can get so dry in our lives that we feel no excitement and joy, and we need desperately this new calling from God to do something new and beautiful. And you say, God, put a fire in my heart and make it just beat just a little bit faster. And so you receive new purpose. Sometimes it's communities and networks of support. Other times you just need to hear that you are loved, and this church is great at that. Sometimes you need to take a break. I have friends, um, two who just texted me last week, and they're both in ministry, they're pastors. And they have told me, this is so hard. Being a Christian, being a pastor is so hard, I have to take a break. 
And in order to save my soul, I'm stepping away with the hope that one day I'll be drawn back in. And that's okay. And that might be you. What is it that you need to receive? I thought of this story. This story has been super close to me over the last like year and a half. It's, again, something Bonhoeffer shares. He was, he was executed. But before he was imprisoned, he gave one last confirmation sermon to his students. And these were the people who were growing up in the faith, right? They're finally professing their faith in front of the church. So he's got his students there, and he tells them a couple really important things. First thing he tells them is, what you're doing today is important. You are confessing your faith, and that's good. But you're doing it in the church, and that's easy. What you really do is you confess your faith out there. It's much more difficult. And then he tells them this, and this is what's really struck, with, struck me and, and stayed with me. He says, you cannot store up your faith. And he compares this to the story of the manna in the wilderness. Remember the story, Israelites enslaved, they're freed, they're wandering around in the wilderness, and they're tired, and they're complaining, and they're hungry, and they're basically like toddlers, if you have them. And God says, I'm going to deliver manna for you from heaven. And it's this thin, bread, flaky kind of stuff that sounds disgusting, but it's going to be for you, and you can eat it, and it will nourish you, but you cannot take more than you need. Just enough for the day. You take what you need for the day. What Bonhoeffer says is your faith is like that. You receive enough for the day. And many versions of the Christian faith say you do things just one time. You just get saved. You just get baptized. You just say the sinner's prayer, and that's it. And Bonhoeffer says no. You receive the faith daily. And what that means to me is that like, the faith I had yesterday might not sustain me. And the faith I had last year will not nourish me. And God knows, like the faith I had in high school and college is not going to get it done. But you receive the faith you need today. So what is that for you? What do you need to receive? All right, second point, aging faith. Um, I don't think we need to belabor this, but our culture is terrified of growing old. You know this, right? You look around, and the advertisements and the movies and the TV and our obsession with sports, um, this worship of youth, like even my job I'll talk about in a second. We, we just worship young people, and we need them. We're terrified of growing old. Look at the places we put our cemeteries, right? Out of, out of sight, out of mind. We don't want to look at them. And part of my job, I work at Candler School of Theology, and I work with research with young adults, and kind of go around and see who's doing young adult ministry really well and what's working and what are the trends. And so I talked to a lot of churches throughout the week. And I talked to one church last week, or maybe a month ago, and astounding, they have like 300-something young adults on a Sunday. It's just like booming, wow. And they'd say to me, we have no one hardly over the age of 35. And which means I would be like a church patriarch because I've got a little bit of gray hair. <laughs> on the one hand, that is astounding. That's, a, that's amazing. It's a cultural anomaly. How do you have 300 young people there worshiping? And we have lots to learn from them. But on the other hand, I want to be like, where are the people who are finishing the race? <laughs> where are the people who are nearing the, the finish line? The people we can learn from, follow after. You know, it's like you can only be around new Christians for so long. It's kind of... <laughs> 
it's kind of like being around newlyweds. <laughs> like, oh, you're just so in love with each other. <laughs> just, just wait, I promise you. Um, wait until you're both working 40 plus hours a week and there's dishes always in the sink. And I know you did laundry. I did laundry this morning and there's four loads left <laughs> when I get home. And I want to say, like, like, where are the people who have been on that long 15-hour car ride with God and not said a word because they're so angry? Where's the people whose faith has seen some stuff? Where are the people who, after a long day, sit on the couch next to God and no one talks because no one needs to? You know exactly what the other person is thinking. Where's that faith? I mean, that's beautiful faith. And I think what we can learn from this aged faith is that it has seen suffering and it has seen pain and it has found a way to keep running this race. This is why we have the saints in the church, people who have run the race and finished and done well. I was thinking about Mother Teresa this past week and Mother Teresa might be one of the most well-known Christian women probably in recent history. Uh, worked with lepers in Calcutta. You remember this? Um, but do you remember when her journals came out and her letters? And we all learned that she had this intense darkness in her life. And she went years without hearing from God. And there was this deep pain in her life. And can't you imagine Teresa was like, God, I gave up my entire life for you all because I heard this voice on a train on the way to Albania. Wouldn't it be nice if you just said hello every once in a while? And that was her. But she kept the faith, right? And it was this sign of maturity that oftentimes God works underground like seeds do, in silence and in darkness. And Teresa kept watering her faith even when it was underground. And look at the garden that God grew so I think the point is that here in the church, we need each other. Older Paul, younger Timothy. I think the church is one of the coolest places in our culture where young and old sort of coexist. We, one of the only, right? I, mean, I can't think of anyone else that does this. Because it's intergenerational, this thing, keeping the faith and running the race, that you can't do it alone. St. Augustine said, your old age must have a childlike quality about it. Paul, in your childlikeness must have the wisdom of age. Timothy, they're coexisting. So young people, I do like research on young people all day. One of the most important things you can do is find someone to mentor you in the faith. Someone who's like just a few steps ahead of you, but might slow down and walk alongside of you. And older people, one of the most important things you can do is share your stories because we need them. What has your life been like? How did you keep the faith <laughs> despite all odds in this culture? How did you do it? Let me share these stories. All right, so last thing. I'm going to um, focus on Paul. And Did you notice how calm Paul is in this as he's nearing the end? Isn't that annoying? <laughs> uh, We've talked about the difficulties of faith for like four weeks, and maybe the hardest part of faith is rest. It's hard. But I think at the end of the day, faith 
is rest. And we've shared that verse throughout the sermon series. You know, come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And right now you're thinking, oh, great, another thing I have to do. I've got to learn how to rest now. But that's faith. I mean, at the end of the day, faith is rest. You can rest in God's mercy. You can rest in God's love. You can rest in God's holy, loving hands. And one of the best images we have for this in the church is communion, right? That when you come to the table, as Derek reminded me when I first started coming here, you come to the table and at the end of every service, you just receive. There's nothing you have to do. You just receive here at the table. That when you come up here, no one's going to say, do you really believe in Jesus today? Do you believe he was born of the Virgin Mary? Because sometimes that sounds just ridiculous, right? No, they say, just open your hands. This is Jesus for you. And that's the point of faith. In order to keep it, you have to receive it. You've got to be kept by Jesus. And even when you loosen your grip and you start to drop God, you realize that God has never dropped you. So know this, today you don't have to grasp so hard onto anything, right? You don't have to hold it so tight. Open your arms. Spread your fingers and your palms and receive. So receive this. You are worthy. You are beloved. You are beautiful. Receive those things. And there you'll find rest. Let us pray.